Hi everyone and welcome to the Parma Podcast. I'm James Prescott, your host. It's really great to be with you all. Um, I'm delighted to welcome um, my, my new friend, my, my recent friend, Nora Speakman to the podcast today. Um, Nora um, hosts her own podcast called Liminality Life. Um, I was a guest on this podcast a few weeks ago and uh, yeah we've become very good friends and um, she's got a great story and lots of interesting things to say so I figured we'd have her on the show. Um, So welcome Nora. Hi James, thank you so much. I'm so grateful to be a part of your podcast which I've been following and and just enjoy the sincerity and the heart that you bring to all of your interviews. So thank you. Thank you. Um, It's great to have you on here. So tell us a bit about your podcast and the story behind it, your story behind it. Sure. So I'm in Texas. I'll probably always lead with that. And for those of you that haven't met very many Texans, we're very proud people. (laughs) Uh, Whether or not we should be, it's kind of a sin really, but we love knowing and telling people that we are Texans. So that's first and foremost. Um, I have always loved the power of story. I've always, from a young age, I remember seeing patterns in people Mm. and wanting to understand their reactions to things, why they noticed certain things. And so I can remember watching um, Nickelodeon. I don't know if you all had Nickelodeon in the UK. Uh, parts of it came to the UK, uh, not in, to the same extent, but I have heard of it, yes. So there was a little girl about the same age as I was, probably nine or ten years old, and she got to do Kids Beat. And this was in between the shows, and she would interview people, and she had these cute braids, and she would say, and see you next time on Kids Beat. And I remember going to school and using my pen, and I'd hold it out like a microphone and interview people at school. So this was always something that I can remember as far back as a little girl wanting to do. Um, And then, of course, Oprah came on the scene, and I wanted to be the Mexican Oprah. And I thought I could. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Because I loved how she could take what seemed like very complex topics and make them, you know, something that everyone could find their place in. Mm, Everyone could see themselves in. Everybody could resonate. And whether or not you could truly have empathy because you had maybe never experienced it, you still had compassion. Mm. And I loved that about her. Um, So it's always been in me to truly capture the essence of why people are who they are. Yeah. Um, It's a little bit harder to do with yourself, though, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, it is very much so. (laughs) Yeah. It's always easier to diagnose something that's wrong with somebody else or to have insight into their story than to have Mm -hmm. insight into your own. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the spiritual journey that kind of, that took you towards this? Well, that's a great question. Um, And that's what I've always loved about your podcasts. I'm telling you, you don't realize. And I remember being in the gym with you. I've told you I've taken you on runs. We've gone to the gym. You're in very good shape with me. (laughs) Not in good shape in actual physical life, unfortunately. But yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I remember listening to you while I was at the gym and your experience 
as you would hear your guests answer was such was from such a deep place deep within and it resonated with your spirit so I love your questions and even more I love your responses to the question (laughs) (laughs) but for me uh, I grew up in a time that we've talked about during the revival so it was the revival of holy spirit it was the charismatic Catholic movement was just coming on the scene in the 80s. Mm. And I'll never forget my mother being invited uh, to the prayer meeting, as they called them. And she made me go with her. So if she thought it was weird, she could say, oh, well, Nora has homework, so we have to go. (laughs) (laughs) So I was actually an excuse, uh, but I was immersed in watching because I'm an observer. Um, and I watched these people being filled with the spirit. I watched people being healed in the spirit and there, the manifestations were incredible. As you know, from that time, it was, we were experiencing it all over and, uh, I wanted to serve God. I didn't know how I was going to do that because I was a little girl, but in the Catholic Church, I was able to be a lector by the time I was 12. So I read these these readings, which you're going to laugh, but I didn't know that they were in the Bible. <laughs> because for me, in the Catholic Church, you learned from the Missalette, not from the Bible. And the priest would tell us at that time, don't try to read the Bible because you're not going to understand it. So... As a lector, I would read all these letters from this guy named Paul. <laughs> I thought he was quite prolific in writing, but I didn't know that they were part of the New Testament in the Bible till I was much older. Hmm. So I just thought, well, this is so nice. He takes time to write these letters to these people and corrects them in the most loving way, you know. <laughs> hmm. So... So I wanted to serve, and by the time I was about 14, I had decided I was going to be a nun, and uh, I just wanted to be in the church, and as a matter of fact, I spent a summer at a convent, and I loved it. I took care of the nuns, and I swept, and I did all these wonderful things. For me, everything was serving God, and it happened when I was 16 that my world changed. And what changed my world was I was um, waiting for my parents to pick me up from high school tennis practice, and they forgot me. And there was actually a predator on staff I didn't know. Uh, He was a counselor at the high school, and he ended up asking me if I needed a ride home. And rather than taking me home, he ended up raping me that day. And it changed my world because here was this devout, innocent, I hadn't even had a boyfriend, I hadn't even kissed a boy, um, who just wanted to serve God from the most innocent and pure heart. Mm. And you juxtapose that with the experience of literally having your identity ravaged, including the physical part of you. And it was, it took my, the, the wind out of my sails, as they say. Because I felt like I was damaged goods from that point on. Mm. And it took me, which is quite interesting, the adventure that ensued. I ended up living on the streets my last two years of high school. Um, It was unfortunate because my parents didn't 
understand how to deal with that situation. And unfortunately, it was a very fear-based environment. Um, Where was God? Of course, we always ask that question, right? And um, so I lived on the street. I knew that since I was under 18, I had to not be seen because then I would be picked up by Child Protective Services and so on. So it was an adventure. It was an adventure, and and there was a lot of story um, to be unfolded on the streets, as you can imagine. But at that point, James, I had decided that this voice that I wanted to have since I was a little girl, as I described it, was snuffed out by this tragic ordeal. But what it taught me was I can help other people to find their story and their voice. And it became a springboard for me with everyone I met to say, follow your dream. Because it was, I was disqualified, but everyone else still mattered. And that was the lie that I told myself. And it wasn't until this very year, six weeks ago, (laughs) that God really healed me from that wound and said, your voice still matters. And it's not too late. It's not too late. And that's how my podcast was birthed. Wow. That is, that sounds like the short version of a longer story. (laughs) It is. Um, It is. I mean, I'm telling you, as I said, the streets teaches you survival um, and at the same time, as I say, I've been held at knife point, gun point, and everything you can imagine. And I'm a petite person. I'm about 5'2", 120 pounds. But I'll tell you, in the spirit, I always felt like I was 10 feet tall and bulletproof. And I knew even when my identity was taken from me that I had to, I almost became a vigilante of sorts of people's missions for life. Because that happened to me, I wasn't going to let it happen to other people. Mm. It's interesting when you say this, because it, it obviously the details of my story are different, but I went through a big childhood trauma myself, which people who've listened to this podcast will know a little bit about. But the bottom line, even if, even if you haven't heard it, the bottom line is that because I was the oldest, because there was stuff going on at the home, I felt I was responsible. I blamed, yes. I blamed myself. Yes. So I punished myself for it, as in, um, you know, like overeating and coping mechanisms, all those things. But the bottom mm-hmm. line was that I, I felt it was my fault, my responsibility, my failure, that mm-hmm. these things had happened, that my, my parents' um, six-year divorce, um, which is, again, a very short way of putting it, and my mum passing away. Neither had anything to do with me. Neither were my fault. But I blamed myself for them. I punished myself for them. And I had that mindset that you're talking about of, I don't matter. Everyone else matters more than me. Yes. So I'm going to just take care of everybody else because I'm not take care of myself because I don't matter. Exactly. And my voice and doesn't you, matter. You yeah. find, like, how can I give somebody recompense? Even mm. though I, I don't deserve any, but I'm going to try to fulfill 
the lost years for people. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And although it's good to help other people, I think helping other people from a place of shame and self-punishment actually is, you know, obviously, I mean, you know this, um, that it's not ultimately productive, is it? It's not, because you still get end up getting damaged. And when you're, and the more damaged that you are, the less you can help other people. Yes, yes. And it's interesting as we've been talking about Joseph Campbell, you know, and, and both yeah. of us have been finding um, yeah. such inspiration through him. And one of the, his quotes is, the big question is, will you say a hearty yes to your adventure? Mm-hmm. You know, will you say yes with, with just this exuberance? And for me, the day that I realized that I had squelched this voice, uh, it was really eye-opening for me. It was such an awakening, and it was very liberating. Mm. And I'll never forget, it was on a run, of course, is when I get my downloads, is what I say. And people that listen to my podcast often hear, okay, I was on a run, and everybody says, oh, gosh, what is she? what does she discover? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I think all you can be aware of is your breathing. So in that moment, it's almost meditation for me. And, um, I remember just feeling disenchanted with so many things in my life and, and this, and just very clearly spirit said to me, what would you like to do? What, what is the one thing for Nora? And I said, I would love to gather people regardless of what walk of life they come from, what their belief is, and just talk about different subjects, just hear their heart. Give them an opportunity for a platform that isn't a judging one. Mm. And it's so interesting because in that moment, I remember spirit saying, and what would you call it? And I said, well, I call it liminality life because we're always pushing through thresholds, aren't we? We're always Mm. trying to get to the next space. Mm. Yeah. And one of the biggest things I've always told people is you do not want one year of your life to look like the last year, just with different actors. You don't want the script Mm. to be the same. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's so true. Because Mm -hmm. we do that, don't we? We do that. Yes. The same mistakes with just different different actors yeah mm-hmm. just different yes. different jobs different relationships different whatever you're talking about it you know it, it, you can repeat the same patterns yes if you're not careful mm-hmm. um, we're all susceptible to that as well yeah yes um, and some of us settle for that too I think I settled for it for a while. Um, even now, I'm still trying to overcome that, you know, and kind of having to resist that. You know, because yes. the temptation is, the temptation's always there to just go back into, oh, this is this is easier. I'll just, I'll just retreat back into this. It's just, you know, there's no point in going in, in trying. You know, to do to do something different because it's just going to turn out the same way again. Mm. Well, actually, all it's going to do, 
actually, the truth is, if you just keep doing what you're doing, then it will turn out the same way. Yes. If you do something different, yes. it, it will turn out differently somehow. Right. Last week, I did a three-part series on my podcast on the power of our brain. Yeah, and it was I saw that. Yeah, it was great. Oh my gosh, the research, it was incredible, and you're absolutely right. And in addition to that, I found a wonderful book. You've probably heard of it by, I think it's Dr. Harville Hendricks, Getting the Love You Want. Oh, it's an that. old book, mm. but it's so good because he talks about how in relationships, regardless of whether they're friendships or romantic it's just as you said, we repeat the same patterns because we're actually trying to heal something that happened in our formative years. Mm. And if it, our brain is, is trained to pull up the past, even though we're in the present, mm. and it prevents us from being present. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? And actually, I saw some research somewhere, and I can't remember where, I read it in an article, it was, they had some research which suggested that your brains carry trauma and pain from your ancestors so so like traumatic memories or traumatic emotions or so like irrational fears like are often linked to that Mm -hmm. to something that an ancestor went through you know um and it's really interesting because i've had issues with anxiety and kind of depressive moods and that kind of thing um and my grandfather on my mother's side was actually sectioned for seven years just after my mother was born and then he was released eventually um and he was fine yeah but but that happened um after yeah just after my mother was born she didn't see him until she was seven and and it's interesting how that's kind of come down you know um yeah <laughs> it's really interesting <laughs> dr carolyn leaf talks about that in her books she talks so, yeah. about uh how we can have pre-designed brain pathways from our ancestors as you said it's fascinating i have struggled with anxiety in fact i was what they clinically would call an agoraphobe, agoraphobe. Uh, for two years, I could not leave my house. Wow. I was afraid of being around people. And I would get this anxiety, James, that was so debilitating. It, I would experience uh, my throat felt like it was going to close. The sweats, my heart rate would go up. Mm. And it was terrifying. So every night I would call what we have effectively every night I would call these poor people and say, I feel like I'm dying. I think I'm dying and couldn't take my son to school. I mean, it was just miserable. So one night, I kid you not, one of the counselors said, it sounds so harsh and it makes me laugh, but she said, if you think you're dying, then why don't you die already? Because we're sick of hearing from you. (laughs) And it was the shock that I needed to get over it, which sounds funny, but it was, it was the kick in the pants I needed. Wow. I 
<laughs> Goodness gracious me. I, I, I barely know what to say <laughs> to response to that. I mean, it, it's, yeah. We, but, you know, it was that sort of cold drink of water in your face to say, do you really believe this? Is this really your truth? And I remember after that, I would take baby steps. Okay, I can build on this process, and I'm going to be okay. But I don't know what how long it would have been prolonged had she not called me out, so to speak. Yeah, we need to be called out on those things. Mm-hmm. Those, mm-hmm. Because, again, we tell ourselves stories. Yes. And we act as a result of those stories. Like, yes. I'm a four on the Enneagram. I think you what do you think I am? I don't know if I know enough about you yet to, to, to really make that diagnosis. Well, diagnosis, <laughs> but to make that call. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Your creative... Is it four? Yeah, I'm a four. So I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if you're a four. But... Um, because you're creative, you know, because um, you're sensitive. Um, but I, I don't know you quite well enough, probably, just yet. I'm a one. You're a I'm one. You're a one. Mm-hmm. one. Ah, interesting. I am the reformer. Everything is about, and my biggest fear is that I'm bad. So it's a horrible existence, James, because... You can tell me, like, oh, you could have done this better, but I have this inner critic in my head all the time that tells me so much worse. Hmm. Yeah, that's a very one one thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very one thing. Um, yeah. I think as a four, I have my, neg- my most negative um, behaviours are negative one behaviours. I think that's how it works. I, did, I was doing a bit of research over the weekend. Yeah, so um, that's really interesting. We, I, I need to do. I need to do an episode or a series on the Enneagram on this show. I talk about it with so many people, and we've never actually done an episode actually just on the Enneagram. So I need to do that at some point. Um, yes. I keep telling myself I need to find someone to do it with because um, I don't I don't want to do it on my own. Um, I always think these things are better in conversation rather than just me talking on my own but um yeah the enneagram is interesting um yeah i I found it i have found it so helpful in getting to know myself and getting to know others um but i'm but as a four i used to kind of tell my put myself into these kind of imaginary worlds this is what fours do Mm -hmm. because we daydream fours are daydreamers and you can actually start telling yourself a story in your head that isn't that you know isn't true, but somehow your imagination starts cooking this thing up, and you can actually start feeling the emotion of it as if it yeah. were true. Like, yes. You know. Yes. So it's very dangerous when you're a four to start thinking, "What if this happened?" Because you can actually start acting like it has happened, mm-hmm. and feeling like it's happened, especially when you're highly sensitive, like I am. Um, so it's. It's really, um, it's like a blessing and a curse, you know. But it's a, st- but ultimately, it's a story that you tell yourself, and that yes. gets you really down. When there's nothing to be down about, and that's yes. the power of that stories have over us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 
which is why no, I totally understand. And I watch that with my husband because, as I said, he's a four, and he tends to take on the emotion in a room. Oh, and, I'll do that. Yeah, oh, it's just it's 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 harrowing for me to watch him because it can be something that was very. Um, overwhelming, and then it affects him even in the physical, which I'm sure you can resonate with. Yeah, I do. I do. My day job um, is one where I come into contact with traumatic stories every mm. day because it's child protection, and mm-hmm. so, and when I'm in those meetings with parents there and social workers and things. Yes. I take on I I take on the energy that's in the emotion that's in the room and I feel the pain of the children like mm-hmm. you know without meaning but I then to do it deliberately it just happens. Yes. And I absorb that and even though I'm not thinking about it overtly or consciously something mm-hmm. in me is troubled, you know. And it's mm-hmm. not and you know I've seen occupational health and they've told me I need to move departments because I can't keep because because this keeps happening and it's impacted my emotional mental health um significantly and that's because i'm that's because i am who i am um and that feeds into your own story and triggers things from your own story like memories or flashbacks um and you get panic attacks and things that that that's what can happen and that can happen to anyone not just me not just a four you know, if we start telling ourselves bad stories and we start believing them. Right. That, well, they become part of also our worldview. Hmm. And so then I think we end up doing this transference with people also. And then we start ascribing everyone is bad or people can't be trustworthy or whatever the case is because we believe it to be experiential. Yeah. When it was someone else's story. Yeah, that's right. I agree. Um, yeah, that's right. You can make it into your story somehow. It's it's suddenly happening mm-hmm. to you, not to them. Um, right. And then you can change the names of the players to people that you yes. know. Yeah, yes. Like we were talking about before. It's the same story, just different players. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's such a powerful thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think many people understand it, actually. Like, yeah. No, I I don't think so because I think that we can inadvertently even create expectation that we don't know we've created. Mm. So then, when people don't fulfill the way we believe, you know, anytime yeah. you're dealing with, especially in your case with child protective services in my husband's case it was a he his attempt at a ministry that was a parachurch ministry coming alongside churches to expose the needs of senior adults Mm. well the church said yes and you know what that's actually in, in the book of james that we should but we have to look at our budgets or we have to look at the programming or we and he thought no 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 because there are there's abuse happening and I don't understand why you don't want to do anything about it. And it was very disenchanting because he felt very emotive about it. Mm, yeah. So then we're disappointed, which leads to anxiety and depression because we can't believe 
that something that is so passionate to us, how in the world can't other people see it? And how can they be so apathetic? Yeah, that sounds, that resonates with me too. I feel the same. When I get passionate about something, and I believe it's really important, when people don't believe it's important, I get upset and um, take it personally. You know, it's, yeah. Um, so I, I completely resonate with that. That you know, and I think if more people understood this work, then and understood the enneagram, yes, I think it, the world would be a lot healthier. Like I'm going to start recommending Joseph Campbell to everyone because you know um, I'm listening to his um, Man with a Thousand Faces right now, and it's just blowing my mind. You know, I can't stop listening. And um, it's like we all need to hear this stuff. We all need to understand this stuff. Because it helps us understand ourselves. It helps us understand our journey. It helps us deal with our trauma. It helps us tell better stories. And, yeah, it's just good for our health. Well, for me, what has helped in, in understanding him and reading him is that the story moves on. Hmm. It goes the next chapter. And I think that so often we stay stuck in a certain place where, you know, maybe as he articulates it, the, the we receive the call to do something, the summons. Well, I think sometimes we can res- we can hear it, we can know it, but we're so paralyzed by fear mm-hmm. of failure or whatever it is, we don't ever make that next step. Yeah. Or maybe, as we talked about, we don't get the support, so we don't ever move into the next phase of it because we've allowed others to hijack the journey. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, it's really, really powerful. Um, mm-hmm. we, it is really complex, uh, and it takes a while to get your head around. Mm-hmm. But it is really powerful. I think a good way actually into it for people who are listening, if you have Netflix, um, there is a series on Netflix of hour-long interviews with Joseph Campbell. Yes. Talking about his work and talking about his ideas. Uh, and I, th- I don't know how many episodes there are. Uh, I think there's six. It's The Power of Myth. Yeah, that's right. Joseph Campbell and The Power of Myth or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on. Most people have Netflix now. Um so I would go and watch those as a starter because mm-hmm. once you listen to those, like I listened to those and I was like, blimmin' it. There's so yeah. much in there. And it helped me understand my faith as well mm-hmm. um, and deepen my spirituality and widen it um, and understand the context of it and what it really meant. Um, so I really want to recommend those two things to you. Um I mean, basically anything about Joseph Campbell is worth reading, listening to, watching. And there's loads of it out there. So, um, yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's really great to see how it's impacted you as well, how it's changed you. Oh, gosh. I'm telling you, his his perspective, and as you spoke to the, the spirituality and understanding, he grew up Catholic with Catholic parents. But he exposed himself to so much more. And I think that there's so much uh, to take away from the beauty that we can glean from the other stories, the other cultures, 
Mm-hmm. You know, the, the other, um, the, the myths as he calls them. And, and what if we read the Bible that way rather than expecting it to be literal and then being disappointed when we're, it's not fulfilling our preconceived notions about it when we don't even understand why we, we believe what we believe to begin with. Yeah, we don't, we don't deconstruct it. We don't, we don't, um, when it comes to religious belief, mm-hmm. we want certainty. That's we want. This is what this is what it means. This is what it says. These are the rules. These are this is the system. This is how you get in. Mm-hmm. Um, this is right. This is wrong. This is in. This is out. And people people want that because they crave security. And it's mm-hmm. natural. It's a human. It's a human thing to crave security and crave certainty. Um, but ultimately, what I found is that it does, that doesn't that doesn't deliver. It doesn't it doesn't come yeah. through for you when like I like I I was like that until I was twenty three, mm-hmm. and I already had my doubts because of what happened to me as a child. But when my mother passed away, and I was mm-hmm. twenty three, that was what took me out of that forever. That, right. wasn't, that wasn't enough anymore. None of that was enough. It didn't. Mm-hmm. It didn't. It didn't work anymore. It was just like that. That idea about God, that way of understanding spirituality, is not enough. Right. If that's all God is, then it's not enough. That's that God is not big enough for me. Um, right. And that's what set me on the path that I've been on since. You know. Um, so ironically, I have my mother's passing to thank for that. But you know, obviously, you wouldn't. I wouldn't wish that to have happened. But. Um, it's like, you know, good things can come from bad things. Um, and, yeah. Um, well, that's the other powerful thing to me about Joseph Campbell is it's not like he glorifies suffering, no. but he lets you know that suffering is a part of the process. Mm-hmm. And how many of us don't want either to suffer or see people suffer? So when there is a death, we think we have to sugarcoat it or say they're in a better place. Well, you don't want to hear that. Nope. You don't want to, and you don't want somebody to come say, well, nope. at least they're nope. not suffering, but I miss the hell out of them and I want them here. Yeah. What is wrong with you? I, <laughs> it's just, it's almost insensitive when we think we're being sensitive. Yeah. Because the thing is, the reason that people act like that when, when there's, when there's, when there's something like that happen. It's because mm-hmm. they don't know how to deal with it themselves. Mm-hmm. Because it's not happening to them, it's happening to someone else. And they and they don't know how to deal with it. And that's not meant as an insult at all or a criticism, because it's just a human reaction. Again, we don't know how to deal with that kind of thing. Right. Even more so when it happens to somebody else, and we've never experienced it. See, now yes. I've experienced it, I've seen, and I've seen friends who have lost parents since I lost my, my mum. And it's helped me to understand how to deal with their loss. Right. You know, for me, that looked like that looked like sending them, a, phoning them, or sending them a text saying, um, "I'm really sorry. Um, I love you. I'm here for you if you need me. If you need anything, just let me know. I'm here." And that's it. Mm-hmm. And then, so they know that I'm concerned. They know that I'm sorry, and they know that I'm there for them if they need them, and that I love them. But that's all they need to know. If they right. need, if they need me, I then they'll let me know. 
Like, because I know that if that, in, in the same position, if people had done that with me, that would have been more helpful than saying she's in a better place or, right. you know, uh, that kind of thing. Because that doesn't actually help. Um, that only makes you feel better. It doesn't make the actual person who's grieving feel better. Um, right. Um, so, yeah, we're getting into, well, we've covered loads of topics today, haven't we? Um, this is great have to have you back and do more episodes um, yeah but that's yeah that's that's it I mean like that's grief does that to you though it shakes you out of that certainty that we all crave mm-hmm. and because certainty actually doesn't deliver unless everything's going well well and the other problem I would say or challenge obstacle whatever you want to call it that I I shared with people is We've made Christianity about a destination wedding. Yes, you have. <laughs> Getting to heaven, you know, and, and we've forgotten what we're supposed to do here, you know, and, and how heaven is on earth and how we are the ambassadors for that. Uh, and so I yeah. tell people, it's like you're trying to be good to stay on the guest list for the destination wedding. <laughs> yeah, and like, and there's so many levels to that because the, if that's what you're doing, then who do you think God is? Yeah, exactly. What, do you think he's like this guy who's just waiting to send you to hell? Yeah. Like, and, he, and he's like, he's, and like, he, and like, he just can't wait to send you to hell. He's waiting for any opportunity to send you to hell. Unless you, unless you toe the party line, unless you believe the right things, say the right things, do the right things all the time. Um, mm-hmm. By the way, which isn't possible. Um, Exactly. <laughs> like, or is he a god of grace who just says, "I want you at my table, and I take you as you are," which yes. is actually which is grace, you know. Um, you know, and it's not my love is not conditional because if you say that you have to do certain things to get into heaven, you're saying that God's love is unconditional, or His forgiveness is His forgiveness is conditional. Well, like, mm-hmm. that's you know which. And I always use the analogy of a parent with their child. Mm-hmm. You know, a parent doesn't stop loving their children even if, if they if they if they go out and do things really bad things. Right. They don't stop loving them if they run away from home. They don't stop. They don't stop loving them. They might be disappointed in them, mm-hmm. which is normal again, normal human reaction. But they won't be a good parent will still love their child mm-hmm. and will still open the door and welcome them back if they came back. Exactly. You know, and well, and always leave the door those, open for them. You know, it's... That's all of those parent. thoughts about it, like I have to be good and I have to measure up, we make it about us. It becomes egocentric yeah, rather yeah. than about God. Yeah, which is yeah. so fascinating to me. And I think that I had a friend recently, we were talking, and and she said, I just want to be able to do God's will. And I feel like, how do I know what that is? That it's not him asking you what the desires of your heart are, and he wants to partner with you to co-create that. Mm. Because the other, the alternative makes it sound like, he's going to ask something of us that maybe would be hard, but I don't think that he would ask anything of us. He hasn't already equipped us 
in some way, emotionally or with a skill set, to go do. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, there's always been this, like, idea that if you want to do something, then God can't want you to do it. The thing that right. God's calling you to do has to be something you don't want to do. Otherwise, it's right. not from God. Like, I, I don't know where this myth came from. This idea <laughs> came from. It's just, I, I don't know where it came from. But it was, like, in, almost embedded into you, because I grew up in the church. So it's like inbred into you from like young from a young age. Like, like basically, it's like you have to do what God says, and it'll probably be something you don't want to do, but it'll be the mm-hmm. right thing. And it's like you have to suffer and be miserable. Yeah, and and you kind of and it makes sense at the time in a way because it feels like anything that you want is selfish, right? Right, and you don't no. want to be selfish. Um, so you think, okay, I'll, I'll just like give up my dreams and stuff. But who gave you your dreams in the first place? Like exactly, who made you in the first place? Where did those dreams come from? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, why is it that I have always been good at writing and creating and love doing it? Was that selfish? No, it was because I was made that way. So right. you know, <laughs> um, exa- I mean, that's, there's loads of examples, you know. Um, but we need to kind of get out of this and out of this mentality that if we want to do it, God doesn't want us to do it. That doesn't mean that, that doesn't actually mean that every time we want to do something that it is what God wants us to do. Because right. sometimes we want to do bad things and that's not a godly thing. Or we have right. unhealthy ambition or we want to make money and that's our primary goal in life. You know, um, mm-hmm. that's not a good desire. But you know those kind of things like those dreams you have of the dream you had of communicating Mm -hmm. with people and sharing things with people sharing your story and Mm -hmm. trying to use that to encourage other people and benefit other people that was a good thing yes the only negative thing about it was that you thought that that didn't include you right (laughs) which is a different thing and i had the same i had the same issue so i know exactly what you mean with that like mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I'll create all this stuff for other people, but it's, but it doesn't. Yeah, it's not. It's not about like I. I don't matter. Um, mm-hmm. But actually, I need to take care of myself to be able to serve other people. Absolutely. Just, you know, like we all do. You know. Um, yeah. Yes, you're gonna laugh, but I've been watching with my husband. Um, we've been binging on. I think it's on Hulu, and it's the Vikings series. Right. And it's based on a true story. Have you watched it? No, no. It's, you would love it. It's fascinating, especially if you like to see patterns in people and sort of do this profiling. So it's based on the true story of Ragnar Lothbrok and their escapades and fighting and taking over lands. And I mean, it isn't anything to watch with young children because of the violence and everything in it. Yeah. But they're pagans. But they end up coming upon Christians in the process, and one of them is a monk in a monastery. And Ragnar, who is their their earl, um, befriends him. At first, he's a slave, and then they they have this bond that is the most beautiful bond because Ragnar and the monk know who each other is. They know the differences. And they accept each other in the most loving way. And the hard, the hardest thing about this relationship is at the end when one of them is going to die and Ragnar says, I don't want you to die because I can't go where you're going. At the end, I won't see you again. 
because we believe in heaven and the Vikings believe in Valhalla where they all get to go drink again and and fight during the day, which sounds awesome, right? (laughs) (laughs) And I think that sometimes we make heaven about, you know, the clouds and the harp and maybe it's about like the Vikings believed it was, you know, I wonder what Joseph Campbell would say about the power of myth within their belief system. And how we have tried to make ours this innocent and, you know, very loving because that's what we should do. And I think there's grit and there's all this perseverance and other stuff in it, too. And we want to make it, you know, very pearly. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Yeah, I think we, yeah, with heaven, you can easily water that down. We don't talk about heaven much. No. Like coming from a church background, it's like this, it's like this magical place, you know, and like everyone talks like it's all perfect, everything's great there, and it's all crowns and thrones, and like they use the imagery from from Revelation, and yes. that's literal truth. Most Christians right. still do that, and, yes. And I actually came to the conclusion recently that actually, you know what, we we kind of beginning to figure out now that Genesis is a poem. The creation story in Genesis is a poem. The Adam and Eve story is a metaphor. So why do we still think that this dream of uh, John's is literal truth? When, again, it's probably a metaphor, you know. Right. And this kind of... And then then there's Christians who actually believe in some kind of, like, hierarchy, that some Christians are going to be in higher places on thrones and, and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that doesn't sound like the kingdom of heaven. No. God's like that? No. Really? Like, really? That doesn't sound, that sounds just like earth now. Like, <laughs> some people are more important than other people. And, like, you know, and, yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but, I mean, we all have our own kind of idea of what heaven will be. You know, um, it's um, but again, Jesus talks about heaven being here now, and we can create heaven here now. Yes. You know, and um, and he also uh, said, I think it's in Mark where he said, "You've taken the commandments of God and made traditions of men." And I think, my goodness, because we want it to be palatable. And we do make traditions of men. And how do we know? Because the relationship I have with the Trinity, as it were, as a whole, for me, is much more fun than people make it. You know, and I think I think when I go to heaven, I always tease and say, God, you're going to let me have one curse word a day in heaven. <laughs> you're going to let me have one Mexican beer with salt and lime because you know I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be something fun. Yeah, we have to think of, think of it less as like this kind of, place we have to be on our best behavior all the time yes and that's uh, not fun that's not fun <laughs> no. so what would you have in heaven james what would be your one thing i'm gonna have my mexican beer <laughs> oh god i think ice cream ice cream but that's not sinful is that the worst thing you can do <laughs> ben, ben, ben and jerry's like endless tubs of it oh there you go okay without me getting ever getting fat yes <laughs> or getting and what's your flavor What's your poison with the Ben and Jerry's? Oh, it's probably Chunky Monkey. Ah, that's the classic. I love Chunky Monkey. I just yeah. love it. 
I just, yeah. Um, I mean, I could eat all luxury ice creams, but yeah. Mm. And just um, tons of that stuff. <laughs> and a nice beach with um, clear blue water. And yes. be able to swim down right to the bottom of the sea and see everything mm. without goals. Because um, I love the ocean, love the sea. Like dolphins. Um, swim with dolphins. Mm. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Um, oh, this has been so good. So, we're going to do more episodes um, with um, with Nora. Um, she's going to be a recurring guest. I have a yes, feeling. I love that. Thank you. Um, and um, it's been really amazing today. So, thank you for, for being here. Oh gosh, my pleasure. And it's just you know, I I know I'm in Texas, as I said, and you're over there across the pond, but. This feels like we're sitting together in the living room, just chatting. Yeah, and we've invited everyone to be a part. How fun is that? Yeah, absolutely. And where can people find your podcast? It's on. Uh... They can find it on iTunes, Spotify, and Podbean. Awesome. Liminality Life. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, thank you for coming on the show. And um, uh, we'll have you back soon. And um, thanks for listening, everyone.